So are we allowed to start asking questions? You are allowed okay. to ask questions anytime you would like. I'm just going to keep letting people in, and but but fire away, and, and I'll answer them the best I can. Okay. So I here's actually a, oh. Go ahead, John. No, so here's, a, so here's actually a situation that happened, I think it was a few days before Easter. Maybe it was actually Saturday. So remember I was, so I was going back to my dorm room, uh, ran to a few hospitals I knew, so we started talking, you know, conversation and whatnot. I remember one of them, who as far as I know, was not really religious, um, actually suggested, you know, why don't we get together and pray? Or she said, about like, you know, getting together on Easter to pray with people about the COVID-19. Yeah. That kind of made me think. So, I'm great. I mean, I guess only you know, like the wealth standpoint. I was going to say, can I get the wealth standpoint and the Bible standpoint? But I guess the idea is that they should be the same. So, what would the wealth say about that as far as praying, but not necessarily with people who share the same belief or that are praying for that certain belief? So yeah, I got the feeling that she was praying more for the idea of like, oh, it's a tradition of Easter rather than, oh, it's this is what I believe. So, so your question really involves prayer fellowship, right? Basically, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think I, I'm always careful, okay? So um, I think the goal of prayer fellowship is always to give everybody the idea that you have consistent beliefs, that the people who are praying together have the same beliefs. Um, sometimes it's easy to do that, you know, because you're in control of the situation and you can say, um, I have people who are, you know, maybe of, of different faiths, but I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that's doing the praying. I'm going to be the one that, that leads the prayer. Uh, it would be, I suppose, the same as if visitors walked into chapel and, uh, you know, we, we led the prayers. Um, I think you, you always want to be giving a consistent idea of, you know, who, who you are and, and what you represent, what you believe. Um, it sometimes gets a little bit messy, though. You know, when you, when you have a, a, something like uh, the coronavirus or COVID-19 that is, that is affecting so many people's lives and, and you know, you, people talk about praying or praying together, um, I think if, you know you you might want to say in a situation like that I would I would love to you know have a have I would love to to pray for the same things that you're praying um, without necessarily praying together and yet in the end I, I this is what I say all the time I think you have to be careful if you don't have a little bit of time to explain what prayer fellowship is all about what the idea of fellowship is about what what it means to share a faith before um, you join together in worship prayer, um, sometimes you can do more harm to the gospel than good. And um, there might be a time where you simply say, Lord, uh, for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of the good news about Jesus, um, I, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of making sure that people know that, that I'm someone who prays, that I'm someone who cares, that I'm someone who wants Jesus to be uh, certainly known to as many people as possible. Um, and and I, I think that's what makes it really tough. And in a vacuum, prayer fellowship is super easy. You pray with people who believe the same things that you do. In, in the real world, sometimes, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to uh, know who it is that you're praying with and everything that they believe. Uh, and therefore, like I said, I err on the side of rather being, rather than giving people the idea that um, well, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, st I'm stuck up that I can't pray with you, you know, which is not the idea of prayer fellowship, but that's how people take it, unfortunately. There might be a time where you say uh, to, to, to promote Jesus, to make people know that, that Jesus is the most important thing to me. Um, 
I'm, I'm going to make sure that people know that, that praying to the God who has this whole coronavirus, all COVID-19 in his hands, um, ultimately loves us and prove that love through Jesus, um, that you might err on the side of, of, of praying with people that you might not otherwise pray it. Does that make sense? Yes. Good answer. Yeah. Yes. The main, the main, main argument I kind of made was either, either I argue, well, I don't want to get the, get the wrong idea about my beliefs with other people, versus, well, I don't want to miss an opportunity to witness either. Yep. Right. And and John, that's why I would say I always err on the side of the gospel. If it's an opportunity for me to proclaim Jesus, if it's an opportunity for me to uh, to point to Jesus, then I'm going to take that opportunity every single time. Okay. Thank you. Yep. All right. That's a good question. Way to get us off to a great start, John. Excellent. Anybody else have a question? Like I said, you can send it in the chat. You can send it to my email. I'll just check. No, no emails yet. You can ask it out loud if you'd rather do that. I will just tell you this. I went to chapel last week. Um, I wasn't, I haven't been there yet this week. I was last week, Friday. It's just a ghost town, you guys. It's awful. <laughs> it makes me sad, but this, that's why this is so awesome just to see all your smiling faces and, and the wind blowing in Chelsea's hair as she is, uh, you know, on a, on an island there with the palm tree. In the background. Yep. I'm living my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we know a lot. The plants about, are still alive. They are still alive. Beth, Beth, um, most of you know Beth from the office. She goes in about two, two times a week and she's watering plants and making sure everything's on the up and up. Uh, so, yep. Your plants are still alive, Lois. Oh, good, good, good. All right, Lucas, I heard you asking a question. Go ahead. So obviously we know a lot about God the Father and God the Son. Um, but we're not told much about God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, why do you think we've not been told very much about his person? So uh, you mean you mean as far as the teachings of the church, or do you mean in, in scripture? Well, I guess both. Um, yeah. There's not many teachings of the church because there's not a whole lot in scripture about him, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and my answer to that is I think everything that we need to know about the Holy Spirit is there. That might leave some questions to us, but I, I will say that I think of, of the, the three persons of the Trinity, we, we emphasize obviously mm -hmm. Jesus first, and then the Father probably because of creation uh, and the plan mm -hmm. of salvation. And sometimes the Holy Spirit gets left out until Pentecost rolls around. And then we try and cram all that we know about the Holy Spirit into one Pentecost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I would say this because I think the answer to that is we can relate to it's easier from an earthly standpoint to relate to a father and God, the father right. um, it's, it's Jesus took on human flesh. So he was God and man in the same person. And so it's super easy for us to relate to Jesus because well, as Hebrews four says, he was tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. But when it comes to the Holy spirit, understanding how the spirit works becomes a little bit difficult. And Pentecost does give us a pretty good idea of how he works. I love Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, where he says, the wind blows where it pleases, and it's a comparison to how the Holy Spirit does his work. And I'm not sure if I've, I've mentioned this to you before, if we've talked about this before, but the word for the Holy Spirit, the word for spirit in both Hebrew and in Greek, are, it's the same word as breath and wind. 
And so you get this idea when you hear the word spirit or when that word appears, it is sort of like the breath. I so, so even when you hear in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, it, that it's the same word for the Holy Spirit. Um, interestingly enough, in the Greek, it's pneuma, which is where we get the word pneumonia from. So the idea of breathing, of, of that idea of, of, of the spirit being the breath of God. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's ruach, which is you know, not something that we have an English word to my knowledge that is, that is patterned after. Um, but that idea of breath, of wind, of the spirit, of, of, of kind of his silent work, I suppose you could say, uh, working through the gospel. Um, I think of Peter's conclusion at the end of his sermon when the people were cut to the heart on Pentecost in chapter 2. He says in verse 38, uh, um, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, that idea of the Holy Spirit working through um, the message of the gospel uh, to change people's hearts, to, to make people um, God's believers, that's probably the best that we know. The third article, if you remember studying the third article of the Apostles' Creed and Confirmation class, that's probably the, the deepest we actually get into a, a study of the Holy Spirit. Um, he's called us by the gospel, enlightened us with his gifts, opened our eyes to see the blessings um, that God has uh, sanctified and kept us in the one true faith. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. In a broad word, we call it sanctification, which literally means to set apart, uh, to set apart for, for God. He, he sets us apart as his believers uh, and sets us apart in the lives that he gives us um, to live in this world. All right. Good enough. Thank you. We Thank could go you. a lot deeper than that, Lucas. That was a really good question. All right, I'm getting a couple questions coming in. So um, this is probably good. I can answer questions. And uh, this way I'll just uh, mention, I'll talk about them without uh, you know, asking where they are. I think we got a couple. Um, I got this one. Can we have an Easter service in the, in the summer? That is a really, really good idea. I think once we go back to church, that would be an awesome thing to maybe do. Um, I, my home pastor, when I was growing up, the pastor that I took confirmation class from would always say this. He would say that really there are 51 uh, mini Easter's every single year because every Sunday is a mini Easter. And then one time a year we get to celebrate the big Easter and that, that's Easter Sunday. But really the fact that we celebrate a uh, 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 worship service every Sunday is uh, an Easter service, but I like that idea of maybe saying, hey, we were together for Easter, so we can celebrate an Easter Easter service anytime we want. So I'm going to take that under consideration as to when uh, when we get a chance to be back together, we'll, we'll talk about possibly having an Easter service. That's great. All right, here's the next question I got. Uh, how do unmarried people think about their sex drive slash sexuality in a healthy, positive manner? Uh, there's desires and behaviors that need to be avoided, but is there anything good about it for singles? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a deep question. Um, yeah, and, and, and I don't, so I, I certainly would say this, that God has given all people a, an, a, a, an attraction to other people. If you want to call that a, a sex drive, you certainly could call it that. Um, a desire to connect into, intimately. Um, I think it comes down to the purpose for which God gave intimacy. Um, and while, while pleasure is certainly a part of that, uh, God also gave the gift of intimacy to give a very, very special connection 
um, between spouses. And this is where it gets tough mm -hmm. for a single person: is how how do I have a how do I have a positive outlook uh, uh, outlet and outlook mm -hmm. on something um, that as of right now I don't have um, the opportunity or the um, or the the place in my life because I'm unmarried to express that. Um, you know, I, I think it's just, it, it is there. That's, that's a difficult thing for Christians to deal with. Um, certainly you can look at the, you can look at somebody of the opposite sex without necessarily having um, it, sinful thoughts. I mean, what God, what God, what Jesus doesn't want us to have is lust, right? He says, whoever looks at a woman, Possibly has already committed adultery in, in his head, and you can switch that around and say whoever looks at a man lustfully in the same way. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for singles to look at and think of, you know, what, what am I attracted to? What, what would draw me to a person necessarily? And I think the difficulty is we can't ever get rid of our sinful nature. And so it doesn't matter if you're married or single, um, that those temptations to look at another person in a way that is not God-pleasing, that's never going to go away. And, and you might think, as a single person, you might think, um, well, once you're married, that all those temptations go away. Um, but any married person that's either listening right now or that, uh, that uh, has lived any life can also say, yeah, that, it, doesn't, it doesn't go away once you're married either. Um, and so, uh, again, just looking, looking to, to my mm -hmm. fulfillment in Jesus first and foremost, right? That's, that's who gives me fulfillment, no matter what my station in life is. Um, I'm fulfilled first and foremost because Jesus is life. He's, he's my life. He's the one that has given me eternal life. And praying for the blessing of finding that person that you can have that intimacy with, that you can have that special connection in marriage uh, that God wants. That's certainly a God-pleasing thing to, to ask God to direct that into your life. Um, and, and, you know, just trust that God has the, the best plan for you. All right, anybody want to follow up on that? Anybody have some comments or things that you've done personally to say, um, you know what, here's how I'm going to work at managing this or, or working at it? Okay, here's the next question. And then we can follow up. If you have other questions, shoot me an email, whatever. Next question, how do we know that all of our sins from our whole life are forgiven and not just sins from before baptism? So yes, we teach that baptism certainly washes away sin. Uh, and so repent and be baptized, every one of you in the forgiveness of sins. So, so what if we're baptized later in life? Or what about the weeks or days before our baptism? How do we know um, those sins are forgiven? Um, the Bible doesn't differentiate too much between sins from before and sins after baptism. Uh, basically, faith is what secures us the blessings of God. I think of Mark 16, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Um, the reason we're saved is because sins are forgiven because Jesus paid the price on the cross. Uh, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so sins, all sins were paid for on the, on the cross. Um, Jesus died for every single one of our sins. It's faith that secures that. And certainly baptism brings faith. Um, but it, it is, it, it's not, it's not at a, 
a one point in time and now everything forward from there is forgiven, but in the past we still have to go back for. Um, when Jesus said, it is finished, you, I'm sure, remember and have heard many times that that word uh, could be translated, that word in Greek, the tetelestai, could be translated paid in full. And that's not just sins after our baptism, but, but all sins of all people of all time have been forgiven of the cross of Jesus. All right, so next one. Thoughts on reaffirmation of faith or affirmation of baptisms. I've heard that they are a sign of poor faith, but can see the benefits as well. Um, Pastor Billets? Yes. Can I, I'm sorry, can I ask a follow-up question? Please the, do. Um, so, I mean, I live in the South, obviously. Um, yep. where they're, like, mostly Baptists. Um, and is there, like, so, I guess, from the idea that, um, like what matters is like the faith that you're having God and like that's what forgives your sins. It's not like the yeah. baptism itself. Is there a reason to prefer like infant baptism versus like um, baptism when you're older? Yeah. So so I I'm I'm going to object just a little bit and not harshly in any way, shape, or form. But um, I think the Bible clearly states that the act of baptism forgives sins as well. And it doesn't okay. mean. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven without being baptized. I mean, all the people in the Old Testament, none of them were baptized. The thief on the cross, as far as we know, there's it's almost impossible for him to have been baptized. And yet Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The reason that we baptize infants, and, and I will be completely upfront, um, there is nothing in scripture that says you should baptize infants. But at the same time, there is not a thing in scripture that says you shouldn't baptize infants. And when it comes to the two special, two special teachings of scripture that we call sacraments, um, the Lord's Supper certainly does give a, it certainly does give a stipulation as to who should receive the supper, right? First, not to be able to examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink of the cup, because you can eat in an unworthy man. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body and blood of the Lord eats and drinks judging God himself. So the, the Lord's Supper does set up some parameters. Jesus, in instituting baptism, simply said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus doesn't differentiate between adults and children in, in all nations. And then when we think a little bit more deeply, and this is probably, Elizabeth, what you've run into in the South, and, and I understand from a logical point of view why people say this but but he, babies are born just as sinful as anybody else and um, some of you have had opportunity that are on this call to uh, interact with children uh, maybe you've babysat maybe you have younger brothers and sisters um, you don't have to teach kids how to be naughty <laughs> my kids figured that out all on their own and, you know, they're born and they, they look so cute and it's like, oh, this beautiful baby. And then you take them home and they get upset and they cry and they scream. And then later on, they know how to pull hair and they know how to kick and, and punch and they know how to uh, not share toys and all the good stuff that you want them to do, you have to teach them. And that's evidence of the sinful nature. David said it this way in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so we baptize babies because they're sinful. They're born sinful, and they need the same blessing that anybody else needs. They need, uh, they need the gospel uh, in that, in, in in this case, in a very special form, in, in the water connected with the word. 
Um, so they're included in all nations, they're sinful. And then this is the hardest one I think for people to grasp, babies can believe. And I know that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that an infant baptized at two days old or one day old in the hospital can, can believe the gospel. But it just proves once again that faith is a matter of the heart and not a matter of the head. And I think of Jesus in Mark chapter 10 saying this, let the little children, and the Greek word for little children there is small babies. And it says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so for those reasons, the fact that, that babies are included in all nations, that they are sinful and that they can believe, again, maybe the best way to say this is we have chosen to err on the side of the gospel, which is baptizing people at an earlier age because God doesn't tell us not to, rather than saying we're going to wait until they are a certain age uh, until uh, we baptize them. So I think, Elizabeth, do they call it? What I've heard is they, it's called the age of accountability. Yeah. So there's a certain uh, period of life where they might say you're not responsible for the sins that you commit because you're young and you don't know any better. I, I get that from a logical point of view, but you're going to have a hard time finding that in scripture. Yeah. That, that think, people aren't responsible. I think the idea, too, is that, like, at least, like, for my friends who are Baptists, the point they make is that, um, if you don't like understand what's happening when you're being baptized, you shouldn't be baptized. Um, yeah, and, 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 and so again, that, I would say that's an argument that is from a, where belief is coming from the head instead of the heart. So what, and it's a good point because generally if we baptize someone who's older, they are instructed first and then baptized because they can understand what's happening. And then the other thing we do at an infant baptism is usually we talk to parents and sponsors about the responsibility that they have to continue to raise the child, to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And the reason that you have sponsors is if something were to happen to the parents or uh, sponsors can assist parents in, in the physical or the spiritual training of that young person, because that's ultimately what you want. Um, it's why we don't fly over Camp Randall Stadium on a Saturday afternoon with 80,000 people and dump a huge load of water and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, I suppose we could do that. But who is going to follow up? Who is going to tell people what that means? Who is going to nurture uh, any faith that, that could possibly be created? Uh, and so we don't treat it as, as a... a um, magic act that just automatically makes, you know, makes people Christians for life. I mean, it certainly does bring to faith, but ultimately there is, there is a, a responsibility behind it to, get to nurture. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Thanks, Pastor Oates. Yeah, That's a great follow-up. Yes. Yeah, can I add in something there? Yes, please, Luke. Yeah, I think um, another way you can think about it is that for, for Baptists, they believe that baptism is something, is a human work. That you're, that's something that the scriptures commands somebody who's already a believer to do as a public confession of his faith. Whereas for us Lutherans, we understand the scriptures to say that baptism is an act of God. It's an act of God where he is supernaturally delivering to us faith and forgiveness of sins through the word combined with the water. And so that's kind of the, the fundamental disagreement underneath that is that what actually is happening in baptism? Is it just a, a, a human act of stating your faith, or is God acting to give you faith? 
Yeah, and that's a good point, uh, Luke, and I, I should have made that more clear. Um, there is, a, there is a, uh, a difference between viewing the sacraments as something we do for God and something God does for us. And in many churches, especially when you let uh, your human logic come in, if I can't recognize, well, how, how could it possibly be Jesus, Jesus' body and blood together with the bread and, bread and wine? Well, if it's not Jesus' body and blood, now it's something symbolic. And so now it's something I do for God rather than God does for me. And the same with baptism. If, there, if this is something that I'm supposed to do, sort of like I suppose you could say a confirmation. I'm confirming my faith by agreeing that I'm going to be baptized. That is something I'm doing for God rather than what the scripture says is God doing for me. So I, I can just, I can give you two quick passages. First uh, Peter chapter three uh, says, baptism now saves you also. Uh, not, not the, not the uh, washing of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience. God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Titus chapter three is probably the best one uh, where it calls baptism a washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so the Bible clearly makes connects baptism and Acts 2 that we talked about before, yeah, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins, clearly connects uh, baptism to uh, an act of God, something that God is doing for us. Okay, great. Here's the qu next question that I have is, um, I, got on it. I have two left here that I have. The last one I just saw here it is, um, thoughts on reaffirmation of faith or affirmation of baptisms. I've heard that they're a sign of poor faith, but can see the benefits as well. Um, well, I will just tell you that we've done a fair number of affirmation of baptisms at chapel um, for, for various reasons. Uh, last Saturday, I actually went to baptize a baby in somebody's home because we don't know the next time we're going to be in church. And of course, they couldn't have their family there. It was just, well, it was they have a little, they have a young son. So it was the five of us in their house, the mom and the dad and the son and the new baby, and just did a short baptismal, baptismal service and, and baptized uh, the, little, the little boy and um, obviously talked about having an affirmation of baptism so that their family could come and celebrate. Uh, I love having baptisms in church because it gives all of us a chance to remember what the washing uh, with water through the word did for us. And so I think affirmation of baptism does the same. Uh, as far as affirmation of faith, I, I think th the question is a good one because I do think there are times that people go through periods in their life where they feel like they maybe have lost their faith or fallen away. Um, and, and maybe that is a, that is a sign of, a, of going through a struggle in faith. And, and yet when a person says, hey, I, I, the Lord found me again. The Lord, the Lord brought me back and, and made sure that that gospel was important to me again. Maybe very similar to the parable of, of the lost son. I don't have any problem with someone saying, I'd like to reaffirm my, my faith in Christ because I, I was lost and, and now I'm found. And, and what it does is gives people a chance to rejoice with them. I, I think rather than, than like shaming someone for going through a period in life where they struggled in their life and maybe lost their faith, let's celebrate the fact that, that well, there's much rejoicing in heaven over one, one sinner who repents. So I, I don't have any trouble with either one of those, even if the second one is a little bit of a sign of maybe somebody went through a struggle in their faith. Does that make sense? Okay. Can I ask a follow-up to that? Please, please. So back in high school, I went to a non-denominational Christian school that was predominantly Baptist just yep. in population 
and I was in a religion class and someone brought the concept of children being baptized as babies and I like raised my hand I was one of the only people in the room who was baptized as a baby because most people in that school weren't Lutheran and my teacher told me that I wasn't saved because I was baptized as a baby and didn't have a choice in it how I don't remember what happened I remember not reacting but how would you suggest like responding to that in that situation so so I think there's two things and and as I've gotten older I've I've probably um I hope at least have have picked up a little bit of self-control along the way not not a lot I mean there would have been a time that I would have just been ready to just be like let's argue about this because I want to make sure that you know that I'm right Um, I think the first thing that you can do is simply acknowledge that someone being baptized later in life is a perfectly fine thing I mean you don't have to be baptized as a baby to be saved and I think sometimes in our in our zeal to defend infant baptism we we sometimes make it seem like if you weren't baptized as a baby you did something something's wrong but then I would probably go on to say but I'm so thankful that my parents had me baptized as a baby because I I was born sinful and and I was born with a need for the forgiveness of sins and I know what the Bible says the Bible says that when you're baptized into the name of Jesus Christ your sins are forgiven and that it's a washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy (laughs) Spirit and and so I'm, I'm I'm thankful that in my own life, my, my parents chose to have me baptized as a baby. And, and I would just leave it at that rather than arguing and saying, you're wrong for not being baptized as a baby. Just, accent, or just really accentuate the positives for yourself uh, as, as that baptism. Um, Luther would say it this way. Martin Luther would always make a point of, of saying, he would never say I was baptized or even I have been baptized. He would always say, I am baptized because that baptism has impact every single day of our lives. And I don't mean to make you rehash uh, confirmation class, but if you remember that going through confirmation class, there were four parts to baptism. And the fourth part was, what does baptism mean for my daily life? And Luther wrote this, baptism means that the sinful nature in us should be drowned by daily contrition and repentance. And that day by day, a new man a new person should come forth and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity on now and forever. And, and, and that's really uh, Romans chapter six is what he quotes that we've died to sin. Um, and, and that we don't want to live in it any longer. And so there is meaning to our baptism every single day. Um, you've probably, maybe you've heard me say this before. I love saying this. I didn't come up with this statement, but somebody shared it with me probably five or six years ago. And ever since that, I try to say this every morning I wake up. Um, I say, I repeat this phrase to myself, I am a baptized child of God, a redeemed child of God bought with the blood of Christ. And, and I think that it just means, it means that your baptism changed, changed you and it changes things. And no matter when that happened, that's a very, very positive thing. But it, it's certainly a great thing to, that it happened as an infant and you can celebrate that. All right. Good. All right. I'm going to, if you have to drop off because we're a little past 830, by all means, feel free to do so. Uh, There's two questions I have left here and I would love to address them. So how can uh, Wells Lutherans be sure that we're interpreting the Bible correctly when the ELCA and Missouri Synod and other Lutherans believe different things but interpret the same Bible? Um, So that's a really, really good question. And, And I think that 
the first thing I'd love to say is um, we have, I would say, what I learned at the seminary, my training, I wish every Christian could go through that because I was led into the scriptures in a really, really deep way and became convinced that what, what, I, what we were teaching, what, what the Lutheran church, especially the Wells church is teaching, isn't Wells teachings, it's Bible teachings. I think that a lot of times what you hear, what, you, what, you, what you'll see is sometimes a, an interpretation of that. And yet at the same time, I think you have to be really, really careful not to be, um, take pride in a denomination and say, I'm better because I am Wells or I am Missouri Synod, but instead um, just direct people to the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've noticed and if you haven't, that's okay. Um, I don't spend a lot of time differentiating between uh, the the that that it's that we're wells necessarily. I just want people to see that we teach the Bible, and that when they come to chapel, what they're going to hear on Wednesday nights and what they're going to hear on Sunday mornings and in any Bible classes is not my opinion, not my musings on on what I think but simply what God says in his word. And I, I'm not going to say, here's what I think um, without backing it up with, here's what God says in his word. And I think that's, that's really the key is you just have to go back to, to, to what God says in his word. And, and I will say this, I, I don't, I will not sit here and tell you that I'm, you know, that, that never, ever, ever is it possible for um, the wells to interpret things some, maybe a little bit a, a little bit that differently than maybe what God even wanted. I think sometimes we have to be really careful too that traditions and that the way it's always been taught isn't something that we take pride in over against, hey, what does the Bible really say? And one of the things I've noticed through the course of my life is that we have, we have been directed back to scripture a lot of times about things that, that the Bible teaches because we want to be sure that we are on solid biblical ground and not simply a human being's opinion. So I think that's, that's, that's really important. Hopefully that, that answered that question okay. There's a second part to that question. If the world was perfect at the beginning, how did the devil come to be? And how did their temptation to begin with in such a perfect world? Yeah, this, this is one of the great mysteries um, that the Bible doesn't really answer. Uh, God created angels. Sometime during the six days of creation, God also created angels. And he created everything perfect because that's what he says at the end of day six. He says uh, that God looked at everything and it was very good. So sometime after the sixth day of creation, prior to the temptation of Adam and Eve, the devil and the evil angels fell. The Bible has small hints about that, that, uh, that, that they, there was a rebellion, a war in heaven, and the devil and the evil angels were cast down. But why that could happen and how it could happen, the Bible is pretty silent about. And I, I so I just got done telling you, I, I'm only going to tell you things that the Bible says. And now I'm going to break my own rule. Because I don't know the answer to this because the Bible doesn't say. But this is how I make peace with this in my own heart. Okay? God, God allowed those things to happen in my mind for one reason only. Had we lived in the perfect world that he created, we certainly would have understood God's love because there would be uh, trees to eat from, there would be all the things that we needed. Uh, it was a beautiful world that God put Adam and Eve in, but that God would still save us after 
people chose to rebel against him, after angels chose to rebel against him, and after that temptation then was led to human beings, gives us an even deeper picture of God's love. That, that the first thing that God says to Adam and Eve after they fell into sin isn't, get away from me, you're awful, but I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Uh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is an unbelievably remarkable, um, un unbelievably remarkable thing that, that God would still promise to save the world. Um, and that's how I make peace with that in my own mind. We get an even deeper picture of God's love than, than we had before. Hopefully that one makes a little bit of sense because I, I don't have really solid biblical ground to answer that question on other than John 3.16, I suppose. God loved, the world, God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have each one. that on the screen, boys. Kelly, I'm sorry if I missed you. How long were you waiting? Not long. Okay, I was answering the question. I'm like, oh, someone's in the waiting room. All right, one more that I got yet. I'll answer this one. Uh, UW, UW Madison has created many initiatives to make the campus a more diverse and inclusive place, including people of the LGBTQ community. I have nothing against people of that community, but also being a Christian and knowing what God says about marriage makes it hard for me to look at them in the same way. I do want to make everyone feel welcome and included on this campus. How do I reconcile uh, with this as a Christian? And, and um, this is one of the, the toughest things that we have to do as Christians because all of us are sinful. All of us need the forgiveness that, that Jesus has won for us. And so treating every single person as a, a soul that is loved by God um, is exactly what God calls on us to do. What gets difficult is you know the danger that, uh, that um, exists for someone who refuses to hear what God says in their word in his word. And that's where, that's where the difficulty comes in. And, I, and the person who wrote this question, I just have to say, I, I really appreciate the question because I, 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 I relate to it so much because, you know, if I see, if I see a parade or if I see the flag or if I see different things, it's really hard to not have my first reaction be, well, those are people that are going against God's will. Right. And, and, you know, I maybe need to stay away from them. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, before this all came down, uh, we were, the sermon series was um, called Asking for a Friend. And I think one of the sermons was called something about which sin is worse, you know, it's homosexual sin or heterosexual sin. And, and the point in the sermon that I was trying to make is, I, I think our first, our first job as God's people is love. Our first job as God's people is to hold out love to others because if, I, if judgment comes first, they will not listen to another word that I have to say. Right? But if I love first, then maybe my opportunity to present the gospel happens. And then once the gospel is there, then the rest of the truth of God's word will hopefully follow. And it's God who has to change people's hearts, not me. And so my advice, my, my best advice, and this is a giving advice to myself first, is if I can see every single person as a soul for whom Jesus died first, and then think about their life or their lifestyle second, I'm probably going to be way ahead of the game. Because I'm thinking of what can I do to make this person see the love of Jesus when I'm thinking of them as a soul first, a soul that Jesus died for first, and what they represent or what community they're a part of second. Thoughts, questions, comments about that? All right, 
I think that is all the questions I have for tonight. So I do have a question for everybody who's on though. Um, I would love to do this again next Wednesday. Um, and I would, but, but I'm also willing to do um, a little bit of a Bible study if you want to do that. I, or, I mean, whatever you think, give me, give me your thoughts and, and just go ahead if you, I don't know if you want to raise your hand or just unmute and just start shouting and whoever, <laughs> what, what, would, what, would, what would make you happier? What, what would fulfill you on a Wednesday night um, for us to just kind of see each other and then maybe connect with God's word? Any thoughts? I think a Bible study is a great idea just okay. to open my Bible and read it. Yeah. So um, how about this? I will put a Zoom link on um, on the website again, uh, probably late this week, maybe Friday. I'll ask Matt to put that on again. And then what I'll do is I'll have a section of scripture that you can look at in advance. Um, I probably won't prepare a lot of questions. We can just maybe walk through it together. Uh, next Wednesday night. And then if you have other questions, by all means, we can do a similar to what we did tonight, a Q&A thing. Um, but at least it would give us a place to just sort of together say, hey, let's try to, to get out of out of God's word, um, something that's going to benefit us uh, as we dig into that word. So that, that'll be the plan for next week, unless we have a lot of people who object to that. Okay, I would like to pray before we leave. But I would also just like to say thank you to all of you for joining. Um, my, my spirit has been uplifted because I am missing people so much. I am not an introverted person. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> and so not being around people has been a really, really tough thing for me. So uh, this has just been such a blessing and I uh, miss you all so much. And and obviously just express um, the chapel's love for all of you and Jesus and, and mine too. And just uh, pray that you're staying safe and, and pray that uh, you're getting your work done for school and, and for your jobs and all those kind of things. And uh, just looking forward to uh, seeing many of you again and to our seniors and those who are graduating. I don't know if there's any Britneys on here. Matt's already graduated. Um, yeah. People who are, are, are not, Paige, there she is. I'm just looking through Paige. There's a lot of people, sorry. Uh, just uh, want to wish you guys the Lord's blessings and, and, and tell you not to be strangers to come by chapel every now and then. Allison, let's see, who else do we have on here that's seniors? I think I got most of you. And if I missed you, I apologize. All right, let's close with a prayer. Lord Jesus, what a blessing. What a blessing technology is to be able to see uh, these faces from the chapel that, that I've missed so much and an opportunity for them to see each other and, and just connect with some questions and answers about your word. Uh, thank you for, first of all, your love for us in Jesus and, and the way that you've brought that to us through your gospel message, both in, in word and in the sacraments. I help us to cherish the faith that you've given us. Use your word, Lord, to strengthen that faith in you as you guide us through a difficult time uh, with some major changes and just uh, a unique way of, of living the last month and, and with uh, not really a, a, an end in sight yet. We pray that you be uh, a strength to all of our students and, and all of those who are, are working their, their jobs as well to be able to carry out the responsibilities that you've placed before them. Uh, bless our chapel community. Thank you for the sense of family that you've given us and the joy that we have together in our Savior, Jesus. Bless us all with health and, and safety during this difficult time, Lord, uh, and give us confidence that you are working for good in all things as you have promised. Uh, we pray all these things in our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen.